everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Sex Ed Podcast. We're back from our break. It means a lot that you're listening. Today, Kaylee and I are just chatting about polyamory. Yep. We're going to define some terms, talk about our personal experiences, and give you some resources if you're interested in learning more. So we hope you enjoy. So as we said, talking about polyamory today, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Jen, you want to you wanna give us a definition of polyamory? I'm just going to put you on the spot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, let's start with a definition of non-monogamy because I think That's non-monogamy fair. is an umbrella term and then polyamory falls under that. And like a lot mm-hmm. of other styles of relationships fall under non-monogamy. And I guess broadly, I would say non-monogamy is not necessarily having one committed partner in a romantic, sexual, emotional relationships. I thought you were going to say like, not necessarily having monogamy. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. (laughs) I think people use polyamory kind of interchangeably with Mm non-monogamous. I would say that polyamory is specifically seeking out relationships with multiple people. Mm -hmm. But I also think that people can be non-monogamous and be in a monogamous relationship Mm -hmm. at any given moment. There are like open relationships, which I would say is kind of more like a don't ask, don't tell policy, right? Where you like, (laughs) you agree to be open and like find other partners. We don't really, you know, maybe share the details with Mm -hmm. each other or maybe people don't know your partners. I don't know. What are some non-monogamous relationship styles that you're familiar with? Well, there is swinging, which is casual sex. Mm -hmm. Usually that can be like, you know, one couple will find another couple and they'll swap or they'll all have sex together. But usually that is mostly physical, mostly sex, not really any relationships other than maybe casual friendship. Mm -hmm. There is ethical non-monogamy, which I think is mostly what we're talking about, which means, you know, it's not cheating because I mean, you know, non-monogamy, I guess, also would cover cheating (laughs) as a... Yeah, I don't know if I would say non-monogamy covers cheating, but but I mean, the fact that we need to like specify ethical non-monogamy, maybe it does. Yeah, so ethical non-monogamy, you might hear that called E&M, is being open and communicative with your partner or partners about any experiences, either sexual or romantic, that you're having outside of your relationship. Polyamory is a little bit more focused on relationships, like you said. So mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing where you'll hear, oh, my husband and my girlfriend or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. As far... There's a bunch of different kinds of polyamory too. Mm-hmm. I can't even think of all of them, but my favorite one is kitchen table polyamory. And that is the idea that everybody knows and hangs out with and is comfortable with each other's partners. So like you would all sit around the kitchen table in the morning and have breakfast together. (laughs) Yeah. You might live together or sort of like be like, consider yourself a family as well. Uh, You don't have to, but you could. An important thing to note too, is that all polyamorous people are not always dating each other. So like if there's three people practicing kitchen table polyamory, they're not necessarily a thruple. Yeah, I think a lot of times when people hear polyamory or ethical non-monogamy, they just imagine big orgies, which for sure is, you know, can be a thing, but it's not always. Yeah. I'd say it's probably more of a thing with swinging, right? Like, oh yeah, 
So what, do you have any kinds of polyamory that you can think yeah. of? Yeah. Well, I think there's like more hierarchical polyamory mm. as well, where you, mm-hmm. someone might say they have a primary partner and several secondary partners, or they might have a nesting partner and like several other partners where you do have a primary relationship that perhaps is a little more committed in not, not necessarily sexual or romantic ways, but perhaps more emotionally committed, or it's just the person you've decided to like share your life with and then have, you know, other partners that satisfy other needs. Yeah. And then there's like relationship anarchy, which (laughs) I'm partial to. I love relationship anarchy. How would you define that? Yeah. I think it's more like the rejection of the idea that you sort of have to compartmentalize different types of relationships. Like friendships should exist in a certain way and they're always platonic and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're never sexual or intimate and then you like then you have your sexual partners and then you have your familial partners. I mean, hopefully you're not having sex with like your family, but <laughs> <laughs> like the idea that sort of you have to compartmentalize these relationships where like friendships could really be emotionally intimate or even physically intimate, whether or not they're sexual is mm-hmm. another thing, but you could also have sexual friendships, you know, I, I guess it's, it's a similar rejection of like heteronormativity and compulsory monogamy in the way that polyamory is as well. Mm-hmm. But I think it sort of incorporates more types of relationships. Yeah. I also thought of solo polyamory, which mm. is typically this person will live on their own and they might have multiple partners depend, you know, at, at various varying levels of mm-hmm. commitment or relationship. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Like how we talked about maybe having a nesting partner, someone you've chosen to spend your life with a, a solo polyamorous person probably doesn't have that, but they have multiple partners and they're otherwise kind of living their life solo. But don't jump down our throats because I feel like that there's going to be people that are going to be like, solo polyamorous can have nesting partners. So maybe, maybe we're wrong. Don't listen. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of all of this, right? Is that like relationships are weird and difficult and, and sometimes easy and also beautiful and wonderful. And you can structure them however you want. And I Mm -hmm. think polyamory allows people more freedom to do that. Yeah. So before we jump into our personal stories, I think there's a few more terms we should probably define. The first one I've written down is polycule. And that is basically like, I guess, a way to describe your network of relationships. So like, if I'm dating John and John is dating Sarah and Sarah is married to Marissa and I'm also dating Marissa, like that, you know, all those connections would be our polycule and they can get wildly crazy because, you know, it's like partners, 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 you know, in some ways it does remind me of those purity demonstrations they gave us yeah when you're having sex with one person you're having sex with yeah i mean you might as well yeah maybe this is our like retaliation of that it's like oh yeah i'm doing it i'm doing just that another term is metamor and mm-hmm. metamor is basically if my partner is dating someone else that person would be my metamor so i'm not necessarily dating them uh they're my partner's partner And then the final one I have written down is unicorn slash unicorn hunters, which will be a great segue into uh, definitely into my story and maybe yours too. I think from different perspectives. Mm. (laughs) So do you want to define unicorn and unicorn hunter? They're they're referred to as unicorns because they're sort of like mythical 
maybe they exist, maybe they don't. Uh-huh. They're they're very rare. Yeah, they're like rare and sort of held up on this pedestal as like the ultimate type of person that a, a poly, usually couple, uh, mm-hmm. looks for. So they're in this situation, it's usually a man and a woman looking for a third woman to join them who is, you know, bisexual and into both of them. And there's nothing inherently wrong with this mm-hmm. configuration or this like want and need, but it can sort of veer into like placing a lot of expectations on the unicorn, which is where unicorn hunters come in. You know, they're looking for this perfect being that can be a great partner to both of them and is like their, you know, sexual needs like perfectly match both of them. Mm-hmm. It can get kind of a, a bad rap in the in the community. Especially because I think a lot of times the unicorn hunters are looking for someone to play the role of maybe a little bit more of a sex toy than mm. an actual relationship. And I think yeah. a lot of the complaints of unicorns is that they are not as valued in the relationship as the original couple yeah. typically is. Yes. That's are you like, did you read my diary, Kaylee? <laughs> Now I've just read a lot of online forums about this <laughs> because I didn't want to be a shitty unicorn hunter back when I was doing Aww. that. <laughs> well, all current and former unicorns, thank you for your service. <laughs> yeah. So should we jump into our yes? Let's get into ethical non-monogamy. Who wants? Who do should you go first? Want to go first? Sure. Okay, Kaylee, how did you get into ethical non-monogamy slash polyamory? (laughs) Well, so I believe this was back in 2016. So like five years ago, I was with my last partner and we were just on vacation visiting his family. And we went out on a drive together and, and just like having a nice time chatting. And I was like, would you be interested in having like a threesome with a girl? Like I was just, I think I I had a blog at the time. Is that even a question for? I know, a, I know. I mean, yeah. He was like, yeah. <laughs> but like, like nah, I I think if I remember correctly, I had I used to have this blog with my friend Melanie called Thoughtsicle, and that's when I first started writing about sex education and sexual mm-hmm. assault. And so I was kind of getting a little bit more into the space and like thinking a lot about my sexuality, and I was feeling bummed because I was like, here I am, like. two years into this relationship with this great guy and I really like him and I don't want to break up with him yet. I've never had a chance to explore my sexuality and I feel like I'm bi. I have thought that I was bi for, I mean, since I was young Mm -hmm. and I've never really explored it. So maybe I just kind of decided to ask if he would be interested in doing that so that I could try, you know, maybe courting and having sex with a woman. Courting, courting (laughs) the women. Yeah. And so he was, unequivocally down. (laughs) And so I started doing a bunch of research and I cannot tell you what I researched. I think I just started Googling stuff and that brought me to The Ethical Slut by Dossie Easton with Mm -hmm. Janet Hardy. Can't forget her. So that is... I mean, it's like the first manual book, I guess, on non-monogamy, ethical Mm non-monogamy, it's super helpful. I mean, it basically defines all of the terms we talked about and more. It has like worksheets for thinking about what you want out of a relationship, for Mm -hmm. handling jealousy, for, you know, thinking about other people. I mean, it even gets into like the legal aspects of like having kids with multiple partners. Yeah. So, I mean, I read that and it, 
it kind of changed my life. I mean, it, it was a slow process because at first I was like, all I want is to just have a threesome and try it out. And I was lucky. I had a friend from college who was super down. Like, I think I wasn't even thinking about asking her just I mean probably because I was too nervous but we were just getting lunch one day and I I told her that I was gonna think about doing that and she was like well if you want to just let me know and I was like oh and she's I'm letting you know right now (laughs) super hot super fun we're still friends but uh yeah back at the time so we like ended up renting this nice Airbnb and we just like hung out there for a weekend and had a ton of sex and it was really great like I definitely like immediately I was like, yep, I like having this sex is... with women. This is what I wanted. <laughs> I mean, and I had made out with so many women already at that point. Yeah. Um, and all I was like, honestly, just so excited to do more. And <laughs> it was a great time. And like, I That's mean, so she, she had experience with threesomes and neither my partner at the time or I had. So that was really, really helpful. Yeah. He was really good about making everyone comfortable and getting things started, which is a very big weak point for me. <laughs> I'm bad at getting things started. I'm always too nervous. Um, <laughs> even though it's like, we all know what we're here for. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but yeah, she was super cool. I, I mean, I definitely was pretty overwhelmed by it all. Like a lot of change and new things. And at that time, I had a lot of rules about them not cuddling when I'm not around and stuff, which is shitty now. Mm-hmm. But I was a baby. Yeah. 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 Before you and knew it, now you know. Yeah. Better. And it, it kind of morphed from there. Um, that same partner and I moved to San Francisco and we dated another girl together for a while. And that was also really fun. She was really great. And I think what really changed things into full-fledged polyamory for me was when that partner and I, we went out to visit that same girl again when she was living in New York. And I was super grumpy the whole trip because work was just bad. I really hated my job. I was like ready to quit. I was like, fuck this. I hate everything. (laughs) I'm just pissed off. And like they both wanted to like hook up a bunch and I was just not in the mood. I was like, Mm. I was like so stressed out. I was shaking. I was like just bad vibes. And I didn't want to ruin their time. So I was like, honestly, guys, I just want to go to this coffee shop and read. If you guys want to have sex without me, then that's totally fine. I was a little nervous. Like it was definitely pushing a boundary for me, but... Mm -hmm. I left and they did it. And I was like, that was cool. Everyone's happy. Like I, Everyone's I didn't happy. have to have sex when I didn't want to. And they got to have sex when they wanted to. And it didn't change my relationship. If anything, it made my partner even more like, oh my God, you're the best. <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah. Too bad this partner didn't let you like date other yeah, men. Yeah, that, that was kind of, you know, that's... You know, we we ended up breaking up because he was mm-hmm. having troubles with the idea of me dating other dudes. So we ended up breaking up, uh, which was a bummer. Yeah. He's really nice, but you know, he's got a new girlfriend now. They're super happy together, and we're still super great. Like he's one of my best friends still. So yeah, and now I'm in a fully polyamorous, well, actually multiple fully polyamorous relationships. Yeah, it's inspirational to watch them be polyamorous. It's like amazing. <laughs> Let's go back to a couple of things that you said. So we were talking about how you initially had like rules about 
your partner cuddling with other people. And then he had sort of like rules about you not dating other men. Mm -hmm. I think those are pretty common, Mm -hmm. like pitfalls people fall into about, you know, like, okay, there are certain things we're going to open our relationship. We're going to be polyamorous, et cetera, et cetera. But there are certain things that you can't do without me or certain things that you can't do at all because like those are only reserved for us. Yeah. How did you move past those? And like, what can people do if they're interested in opening their relationships to like Mm. perhaps move past this jealousy or this like need to control the things that are going on in their partner's relationships? Yeah. So this is actually a great way to tie everything back to sex education. I think that Mm. a lot of times those particularly those two rules, like don't do anything without me, don't don't date any other guys, or another mm-hmm. common one is, you know, in threesomes, the the third and the guy can't kiss. Like there's, you know, there's a lot of rules around yeah. that. And I think that those stem from a lot of the lessons that we've learned about sex growing up. We've learned mm-hmm. that, you know, sex with multiple people is wrong. We've learned that your relationship with your spouse is paramount to everything else. And I think that honestly, and it's really hard to hear this as someone who is opening up, you kind of can't have those rules. They don't work. I think that for me, like, you know, I did try them and they didn't work. Like I had a lot of issues, you know, where I did catch my ex and that other girl cuddling without me. And I got really upset and, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, he didn't want me to date any other guys, but I ended up falling in love with my, with Jonathan, with my partner, you Mm -hmm. know, while we were together and, you know, it, it caused a lot of pain. And I think that if you're going to be polyamorous, a lot, it's not easy. Like a lot of it, you have to put work into it. You have to be, yeah, able to look at your partner, this person that our sex education and all pop culture and everything in the world tells us like, this is your property. This is your person. And they're wronging you if if they give attention to someone else. You have to unlearn mm-hmm. that. And, you know, it, it it's not always easy. Like there are definitely times where I feel jealous. I mean, not all the time. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's, that's good to point out. That's like a natural human emotion. Mm -hmm. I think there's like a myth that like, like compersion is brought up a lot in polyamorous relationships. And, and while it's nice to have, and like certainly probably makes things easier. Like I think people can feel bad or wrong if they don't feel compersion or feel, feel like they have to bury jealousy Mm -hmm. when really what's been helpful to me is to figure out, like really get at the root of the jealousy. Right. And maybe it is that I need to spend more time with my partner or that I feel neglected by my partner, but that doesn't mean that like, I have to cut off their contact with their other partners as I, you know, don't feel cared for whatever the case is. Exactly. And it's honestly, uh, being with Jonathan has been really, um, inspirational because, you know, when he started dating, like when Mm -hmm. we started thinking about dating, he didn't know anything about polyamory. I gave him the ethical slut. He read it and he was just like, I'm in. And he, works through things like I've never seen. Like when he has issues, he never makes them my problem. There was a time a few months ago where Kent and I, my boyfriend Kent and I went to the zoo 
And Jonathan was like, you know, I was really jealous. Like I wanted to go to the zoo with you. And like, I thought that seems like a really fun date, but I was happy that you guys got to do it. And I think a lot of it is just trying to work past the scarcity mentality and be Mm. happy that someone else is doing something fun and know that you're going to get to do some fun stuff together too another time. Yeah. 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 I totally get that. (laughs) Yeah. So I think people definitely have to work through like, what are boundaries that are like healthy and normal and what are rules that we're like replacing another person that are based out yeah. of like fear or jealousy or insecurity. Right. Like I, I have boundaries. Like one of sure. my boundaries uh, that Jonathan and I have is that our bedroom and our bed is sacred. Like that's our space. <laughs> and anytime yeah. we're with other partners, we use other space. We have a house. So we just use other rooms or go yeah. to other people's houses, but we like to, you know, and that's, also, it can change. Sometime in the future, we might change that boundary or that rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's something that we discussed and agreed upon. Yeah. yeah. And things like whether like whether or not you use protection yeah. and to what degree with other partners, obviously boundaries, boundaries around perhaps some personal life issues of like being out to family and friends. Like, you know, those are all boundaries like created for your safety. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, don't cuddle. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, don't cuddle because I might want to cuddle yeah. and I feel bad about it. <laughs> right. It's like, don't cuddle because I might see it and feel jealous. <laughs> Yeah, 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 you have to be able to own your your feelings and and work through them and not make them other people's problems. (laughs) Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your introduction to polyamory? I got into polyamory like as one of my first relationships, probably. Uh There's like mixed things about it. I had heard of polyamory because like I had the internet, right? And I I think I talked about it at some point in my like sex education that I was very interested in like queer issues, very interested in sex ed. I did a lot of Googling and researching on my own around these issues. And I of course stumbled upon polyamory because a lot of, a lot of that is like intertwined. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, and I also knew that I was bisexual very young and had, you know, like definitely wanted to have sex with men and women at the same time, (laughs) working through that shame as well. (laughs) And then I had a partner Soon after I got to college when I turned 18, who's like a little bit older than I was, who had had some experience in polyamorous relationships and was polyamorous and had some partners. And so he got me, I guess, like started with polyamory or we, we embarked on a relationship with my understanding that he was poly. And by extension, I was also poly, right? In practice, it didn't really work out that way. We also sort of fell into a thing where he, it was like he was polyamorous mm-hmm. and he preferred his female partners to be monogamous with him. <laughs> Yeah, it was gross. It was gross in the end. What a great um, guy. He sounds like a real star. Yeah, he was wonderful. Superstar. (laughs) He, But like, he gave me the ethical slut that you've talked about as well, which talks about jealousy and talks about like gender issues like this as well, where you can't like, like gives examples of how, of like, you know, historical context of like relationships with multiple women and one man, multiple men and one woman or like, you know, mixed with different genders. So I, I don't know if he read the ethical slut, but he clearly forgot a lot of the stuff that was in there, (laughs) but that really helped me as well, work through some of the jealousy issues we were just talking about where I, I, it allowed me to unlearn a lot of what I call like compulsory monogamy Mm -hmm. at the same time that I was sort of unlearning compulsory heteronormativity. I would never, I wouldn't characterize myself as a very jealous person. Like I know that what I have to offer in a relationship 
is great and amazing just because a partner might have another partner that offers them other things like that doesn't mean that what I have to offer is any less or not good enough right obviously in the long run that didn't work out because when I was like hey I think I would like to start dating women or like I would like to start dating other people because we were we I was also in a long distance relationship with this person so most of the time I was at college and he was living like a few states away and so I was like I'm in college like I want to go to parties and kiss people and like I want (laughs) to date other people Mm -hmm. and like he kind of gave me this whole like spiel about how like polyamory really only works like with a man, like multiple women. Oh my God. What the fuck are you talking wow. about? I was like, you were so full so of So convenient for you, sir. I know. I was like, why are you even in? <laughs> okay, yeah. cool. So yeah, it didn't last much longer after that. I'd say the ethical slot was really defining for me. Around that time, I was also reading Opening Up by Tristan yeah. Taramino, which I would definitely recommend. I've also read that. <laughs> I think that book is a lot more about opening up a marriage, if I remember correctly, specifically. Or, yeah, like a like, serious relationship. Yeah, so it might be not applicable to every situation, but I, I found that really helpful. And Tristan Termino is an amazing resource for a lot of sex education. I definitely recommend looking into her other books too. I also read Sex at Dawn around this time, which we will be talking about in a future podcast, <laughs> which talks about the history of human sexuality and how through most of human history, we were raising children in group settings and people were sort of polyamorous. They wouldn't have called it that. (laughs) They were like kind of polyamorous polyamorous by default because humans can survive better if they just like have more children and diversify the gene lines, right? And you didn't have to like trace property and who owned what and whose children belonged to who. So we were all like living in this this group life, having kids together, raising kids together. So that was interesting as well. I think that book kind of veers a little towards like humans are supposed to be polyamorous and it's their natural state, which I (laughs) I reject because humans aren't supposed to be anything. Like they're not supposed to be anything. And monogamy works, polyamory works. I think it all goes back to being like ethical about it and open with your needs and expectations in a relationship. And that's kind of why I I would describe myself more as non-monogamous and not necessarily poly because I don't, I don't seek out relationships with multiple people all the time. I've been in healthy and fulfilling monogamous relationships and healthy and fulfilling poly relationships as well. So I kind of take every relationship as it comes and see what each one needs. I love that. Yeah, that's perfect. That was actually going to be my next question for you. Like where, how do you view all of that now? I think for me, I'm a little different. I definitely mm-hmm. view myself as polyamorous. I I don't see that changing. It feels like a very mm-hmm. fulfilling part of my life and relationship structure. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that I'm not monogamous for sometimes. Like when Jonathan and I started dating, I was dating someone else briefly and then we broke up and I dated only him for mm-hmm. probably over a year. We weren't dating mm-hmm. anyone else. But you still felt polyamorous. Yeah, I was still po- I was still polyamorous. It was still on the table. Yeah. It just wasn't I was starting my freelancing business and didn't have really life is busy. I didn't man. Want to. And it was yeah. also kind of hard to find people too. Um it was. Yeah. We just went through a pandemic, y'all. I haven't been dating at all through tw- well, that's not true. I've been dating here <laughs> and there, but I don't have any any committed partners or even any like consistent short-term partners. And I still describe myself as non-monogamous, but again, that sort of seems like a characteristic of the relationships I'm in. Like some mm-hmm. of my relationships are pro- would be polyamorous and some of them yeah. would be monogamous. Whereas it seems like you would describe 
yourself as polyamorous. Mm-hmm. That feels like a characteristic of who you yeah, are. Yeah, it's pretty important to me. And I am not sure that I would feel happy in a monogamous, like a permanent monogamous mm-hmm. relationship. Yeah. I guess I can't say never when it comes to things, you know, they could change in the future, but that's where I'm at. Things that have shaped my ideas around non-monogamy and polyamory and stuff is also um, Dan Savage. I used to be like a religious listener of Dan Savage's podcast and I listen to it every once in a while. He had a whole YouTube series where he talks about non-monogamy and the like the stupid expectations we place on people, the unrealistic expectations, mm-hmm. let me just say, maybe they're not stupid, but of people to, you know, fall in love and get married in their 20s or 30s. And then our life expectancy is 80 or so, 80 or 90, right? So that's, you know, 50 years Mm -hmm. of monogamy that you're going to be with the same person and they're going to fulfill all your Mm -hmm. emotional and physical and mental and spiritual and sexual needs. (laughs) Like that's, that's crazy talk. So maybe you have a couple of years in there where you guys are polyamorous, or maybe you have a few, maybe even only a few years of monogamy, but having, having a relationship that's 20 years of monogamy and then, you know, 30 years of polyamory is still a successful monogamous relationship for that time and still successful polyamorous relationship for that time. And it's, we, we have these ideas of like, if you ever have feelings for another person, if you ever find another person attractive or like you failed your marriage and you failed your monogamous relationship. And it's just not realistic for people. Yeah. (laughs) Like sets them up for failure. Yeah. That's, I mean, one of the things I love the most about polyamory is that it opens the door up to so many different kinds of relationships. Like maybe there's a person where the best form of relationship for us would be to hang out once a month for a weekend Mm -hmm. and just have a bunch of sex or like go to a baseball game or like, I don't know, like there Mm -hmm. might be someone where like, that's exactly the perfect level of relationship. And Mm -hmm. in a fully monogamous world, we would never have that because I do want to have a life partner to, to do things with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of the times in monogamy, you'll date someone and there's the relationship escalator. So it's, you know, you start dating mm-hmm. them and then there's a bunch of expectations about where that relationship should go. Like you casually date, then it becomes exclusive and then you move in together and you get married and have kids and then you die. Which is, I mean, I think that works for a lot of people, but you know, yeah. I like being able to have a couple of different kinds of relationships. Like I want to date a couple. I want to date a woman. I personally like, I love having my nesting partner and fiance here and then having my boyfriend a few hours away back in the Bay where I used to live and going to visit him is fun. So, and then he, you know, we're kitchen table polyamory. So he comes here and visits and we all hang out all the time too. So. (laughs) Yeah. It looks so nice. It's cute. So nice. (laughs) Okay. So we're talking about like how there are so many options for different relationships Mm -hmm. and I know there are some people who feel like, you know, if you love me, how could you love someone else? Right. Mm -hmm. And I I think that we don't put those constraints around like almost any other relationship. Right. Like I always say that love, love is multiplied, not divided. Right. It's like enhanced. Like you, you have siblings, like you don't love (laughs) one of them less. Maybe you love one of them less, but it's not, (laughs) it's not because you love the other one more. Right. It's not like you have like 70% love for one. So you only have 30. Oh, right. As a parent too. Yeah. You know, like, or even like, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And like, no, knowing that different people in your life, like fulfill different needs, like you might, 
you might have a closer emotional connection with some some of your partners, but that's how it is with some of your friends yeah. too, some of your family members. And, and, you know, that doesn't threaten the other relationships, right? Yeah. It just is what it is. So I think what we should do now is try to tie this back into sex yes. education a little bit. I can definitely start us off. Uh, so the reason I think this is important for us to talk about on the sex ed podcast, and we're going to be talking about it the whole month of May, we've got some really incredible guests lined up that we will get to in a few minutes. So the reason I think it's important is because I I agree with Jen. I don't think that polyamory is quote unquote, the way everyone's supposed to be, but I think that it is a, I mean, a perfectly valid lifestyle that more people should be exposed to because it Mm -hmm. challenges you to work on things that are really important for any relationship, particularly communication, consent, and boundaries are like the top three I'm thinking of. Dealing with jealousy. I know so many people who are like, well, polyamory makes so much sense, but I'm just way too jealous. And I hear that. But I also think that people think that jealousy is just this thing that happens to you that you can't work Mm -hmm. on or work through. And like feeling jealous is the worst thing in the entire world. And you never want to even tempt feeling jealous. Yeah. That if you feel jealous, like you need to stop feeling jealous, yeah. but like really the jealousy is like a, it's an emotion that you feel because of something else like mm-hmm. anger, you know, something causes you to feel anger, something causes you to feel joy. So like, like you said, getting to the root of what's causing that jealousy and working on those issues yeah. will, will make even your monogamous relationship better, yeah. right? Like maybe you'll never be polyamorous. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But like maybe feeling jealous about your monogamous partner is also not the healthiest yep. thing. I mean, and I think that communication is like the biggest part. So like a, one of the big reasons I also really revel in polyamory is that mm. I was cheated on in one of my relationships. It, basically, I dated this guy all through college and he was my first I'd ever had sex with and same for him. And we were together for almost, I think it was like four or five years. And at the end he cheated on me and lied about it for like multiple months. And when I found out it was completely and utterly devastating to me at the Mm -hmm. time. And what, after lots of reflecting, like what really bothered me wasn't that he had sex with someone else. It was that he was able to lie to me about it, like straight to my face for months. And I never want to feel that again. I, you know, even if, even if it's a difficult feeling, like, you know, I'm not always going to like my partners, other partners, or maybe I won't approve of them being with them, but like, at least let's talk about it. And I think that's a key part of what can help a lot of people with their relationships. Cause you know, cheating, there's an insane amount of cheating out in that monog world. Out in the world. Yeah. Y'all, y'all are not as monogamous as you say you are. (laughs) Just throwing that out there non-ethical non-monogamy <laughs> <laughs> unethical shit <laughs> well what do you think do you have any thoughts about um you know polyamory slash not ethical non-monogamy with sex education yeah i mean i think a lot of things we've talked about on this podcast including the episodes we did on porn the episodes we did on sex work the episodes we did on kink it all comes back to like how to communicate with your partner yeah. partners um 
and like how to talk about consent and how to set boundaries. I think that's like the through line through all Mm -hmm. of this, that a lot of sex education is missing, right? It's like one thing to teach you what a vagina is and what STDs look like, which is, you know, potentially useful, but like, how do you be in a relationship with someone (laughs) that is like a lot harder? And we, most of us learn by doing and failing and hurting people and getting hurt, Mm -hmm. right? Like we could potentially make this so much easier. We just said, here's some good communication (laughs) strategies. Here's how to ask your partner what they like. Here's, you know, how to talk, how to practice enthusiastic consent. Like, you know, maybe everyone wouldn't get it a hundred percent of the time, but like they might be better prepared a little bit. Totally. Totally. Uh, So as we wrap up here, I think we're going to go over a few resources uh, about polyamory that if you're interested, you can look into. So we've, for books, we've already mentioned The Ethical Slut and Opening Up. And Sex at Dawn. I've also read more than two, but it's been Mm. like five years and I don't remember that much. I remember it being really similar to the other books. So whatever Mm. you can get your greedy little paws on. For podcasts, I, I don't know if you've listened to any. I used to listen to Life on the Swing Set and Polyamory Weekly. I don't really listen to them that often anymore, but they were they were good. You know, just interviews with people talking about different mm-hmm. concepts of polyamory and things. Websites. I spend a lot of time on Reddit's r slash polyamory. Uh, that can be a bit of a nice. cesspool. Like it just depends. You have to go into it knowing that it's a public forum. You know, it is a good place to go post questions and get advice. But. Yeah. For websites, I would also recommend, I think it's Unicorns Are Us. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've been, I've seen that. Yeah. So unicorns-r-us.com. We sort of talked about unicorns at the beginning, but this is, this has a really great breakdown of what it's like to be a unicorn mm-hmm. and some of the pitfalls and perhaps unethical things about being a unicorn hunter. So that if, you know, again, no shame in wanting to open up you know, to a triad, but maybe if you are thinking of that, you can read this and try to get some perspective on what it's like to be on the other side of them. Yeah. For social media accounts, there is a couple that I follow that I really like. One is Polyamorous While Asian, which we are actually interviewing Michelle, who is the owner of that account next week. That is the episode that's coming out. So get excited. Yeah. Another account I like is Marjani Lane. That's M-A-R-J-A-N-I-L-A-N-E. She does a lot of poly content learnings and stuff and tries to unwhitewash it. (laughs) Yeah. I follow Black Polyandry on Instagram as well. I think they also have a Twitter. I don't know who specifically runs this account, but there are lots of examples of black polyamorous relationships that mostly revolve around uh, one woman and and multiple men. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's a point of view that is often not seen in in polyamory um, communities. So it's really great representation and beautiful, honestly. Yeah. Cool. So I think that basically wraps us up. If you guys have any questions or comments or want to learn more about polyamory, reach out to us. You can reach us at sexedpod at gmail.com or on our Instagram, sexedpodcast. Please like and subscribe. You know, we we are back from our break now. So we've got content going all May and June. Really excited. And I guess we can just go ahead and break it to you guys in a good way. Now that we are going to be interviewing Dossie Easton, the author of The Ethical Slut this month. She's lived what seems like 
a million different lives. It's kind of crazy. She's super cool. Um, she yeah. is the coolest. So please look forward to that. And yeah. yeah, there's lots of good stuff coming your way. And as always, thank you to Kent for mastering our sound. Is it the same Kent that I said is my boyfriend? Who knows? You guys figure it out and let me know. It totally is. Thanks for listening, friends. Thanks for listening, friends. Bye. Those are like the like the key parties of the 70s where everyone throws their keys in a pile and you just pick someone's key out and that's your partner for the night and then you switch. <laughs> what if you bring home your own keys? You're just like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like masturbating in a corner. <laughs> like, this is fine. This is what I signed up for. <laughs> <laughs>